we are back in James. So pull out your notebooks, get them ready. Uh, I'm preaching from a table today because it's easier to have a bottle of water here. I still have sinus congestion. How many of you still have the cedar plague? All right, so you're with me. So I apologize if I cough. I'll try to shield appropriately. Uh, But it's going to be a little slower pace, which you may not mind. Uh, But to make sure that I I don't get into a coughing fit, I may not get quite so excited. So I'm going to sit down. I'm going to relax. I'll probably stand up and get excited. I can't help it. It's just, this is a great text of Scripture. So as we walk through this text of Scripture, it fits perfectly with the song that we sang. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Turn with me there. Get your notebooks out. Get ready to take some notes. Get ready to jot down some things. Let me start with this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand. Half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor, well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them, the heart that fed. On the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my work, she mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Shelley reminds us through this story of King Ozymandias that many of us have dreams of building colossal statues or colossal businesses or colossal reputations that testify to the greatness, at least in our own minds, of the things that we've done, of the works that we've done, only to watch Father Time, the great equalizer, bring to a colossal wreck all the works of our hands, all the pride of our hearts, all the arrogance of our mind as it falls with nothing around but sand. Our hearts are idol factories. We are prideful. We are arrogant. We are sinful. And it's all of us. And today, when we look at James, James, as he has throughout, pulls no punches. He gives us command after command after command. And in our text today, he hits us square between the eyes when he tells us that our main problem is our own desires. He tells us that we have a war that's going on within us. This passage could easily be broken down through verses 1 through 12. Some break it down through verses 1 through 10. I've chosen to take this in two parts, going through verse 1 through 6 today, and then we'll talk about verses 7 through 12 the next time we're together. Verses 1 through 6 really lay out the problem, and they give us just a little foreshadowing of the solution. And then we'll talk more about what to do when we we sense these passions warring within us. We'll talk more about that next time when we join together. But for today, would you... Rise and stand, if you are able to, in honor of the reading of God's word as we look at James chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 6. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Dear Lord, as we come to you today, Father, I confess my own heart, prone to wonder. Lord, my own passions, which I feel warring within my own soul. Lord, I confess to you my dependence upon your word, upon your Holy Spirit, upon your grace. So Lord, today as we look at this, may it not be that that anybody perceives that someone is talking down to them, but Lord, may it just be a bunch of sinners who have joined together to come to the foot of the cross, to learn from your word, to seek to have our affections directed towards you so that we might live a life that is glorifying to you. God, may we humbly approach your throne and ask for the grace that you so freely and graciously give. And may Jesus be exalted in all that we say and do. For it's in his name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. When you look at this passage, so let, me, let me give you the breakdown here as we start. Uh, the first thing we're gonna see is the question. What, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Those questions can be answered by the fact that our internal struggle leads to external struggles, which results in quarrels and fights. So our outline for this morning is the cause. What's the cause? The cause is our sinful desires. Uh, We have to look no farther than the mirror to figure out what's wrong with this world. When we look at the mirror and see in ourselves our own passions warring against one another, when we see in ourselves a heart that is prone to leave the God that we love, We see in these desires perhaps some different categories that I've tried to place them in for our discussion this morning. Uncontrolled desires, those passions that are warring one with another and you you sense that feeling sometimes of just this uncontrolled desire that overcomes you, it overwhelms you that you give into. An unmet desire, a desire that you covet for something and you don't have it and it's for that reason that you you murder, it's for that reason that you fight and that you quarrel in verse two. An ungodly desire, a desire that you ask for perhaps in prayer, but you ask amiss, you ask wrongly, and because you ask wrongly, you do not receive that which you have asked for. It's an ungodly desire. You're asking for God to give you something to spend on your own passion, an ungodly desire. We see the verdict as James, the one who says over and over, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers, with passion and concern around, says here, literally, spiritual adulteresses. You spiritual adulterers, that is the verdict of our hearts that we commit spiritual adultery. And we see here also the solution, grace through humility. As we walk through this, we begin to look first at our sinful desires. Our sinful desires. We look at this and we see the uncontrolled desires. What causes quarrels? Quarrels, the the big, large fights that take place, the things that we see happening cosmically across our globe, the larger conflicts that take place, you see this and you see that it is often formed by the selfish desires that are our internal struggles flowing out into external struggles. What causes the fights, the the one-on-one sword fights, the one-on-one confrontations, the roommate-to-roommate struggle, the internal confrontation that perhaps you have with some, even on this campus, you understand and you see that this happens because of the passions that war within us. We are prone to be a self-centered people. We are prone to be selfish individuals. You don't have to teach a baby how to be a selfish individual. Babies are born understanding how to focus on nothing but themselves. 
And as we grow up, some people learn that we're not supposed to be focused on ourselves. Philippians 2, we're supposed to have this mindset that focuses our attention on others. We esteem others higher than ourselves. We look at ourselves and we understand our own faults and we have a humility about us, a humility before us that we esteem others higher than ourselves. But some people don't learn that lesson. And those that don't learn that lesson, you have one self-centered individual who encounters another self-centered individual, or perhaps you have somebody who just in a moment of flaws acts in a self-centered manner, and that self-centered manner hits another self-centered manner, and then you have conflict between the two. This happens all the time. It happens over things that are large. It happens over things that are small and trivial and meaningless and still causes fights among us. It's that your passions are at war within you. The word passions, hedone in the original language, the word from where we get hedonism. You think about hedonism, the things that bring pleasure, at least for a brief moment. We have passions that cause us to have desires to seek after momentary pleasure, momentary things that would please ourselves, that would please our minds, that would make us happy. It's those passions, those ungodly sinful desires, those passions that then cause us to fight and quarrel. He says here in the text, it's the passions that are at war within you. You desire, you seek, and you do not have, so you murder. We think here about these uncontrolled passions. You know, as I think about uncontrolled passions, I have to think about my dog. I have a black lab. Anybody? Labradors? Couple? Some of you have, the, some of you have these really good dogs, these paws for ability dogs that like lay down and they behave all the time. That's not my black lab, Okay. My black lab loves to eat anything. Does anybody have a dog that likes to eat anything? This dog, we still at this point have a childproof lock on our cabinet that has food on it, not because our children get into the cabinet and eat things that they shouldn't eat, but because our dog opens up the cabinet and gets into the cabinet and eats all sorts of things that a dog's not supposed to eat, like raisins or chocolate. Chocolate, the dog loves. The dog would devour chocolate candy bars one right after the other, and we'll have eight different wrappers across the house where the dog is eating chocolate candy bars, the dog should be dead. The, the, dog, the dog may one day die from, I can't imagine at this point though, any chocolate's going to do this dog any harm. To have fun torturing this dog or training, if you want to call it training this dog, one of the things we would do is we would tell Shadow, Shadow, sit, Shadow, lay down, and then you put food on the floor a little bit away from the dog. You could see the dog wanting to be obedient to the master with the tail wagging in the back, yet when the treat is laid, the eyes go from the master to the treat, from the master to the treat, from the master to the treat. All of a sudden, you start seeing this wiggle as the back end is this whittling, is moving the dog forward to the treat, and the head begins to get a longer as it extends out towards the tree. You look at the dog and you see within the dog the passions warring against each other. The dog is a Labrador. It is an obedient dog. It's a good dog. But there's a treat. <laughs> and the treat is right there. And the mouth begins to water. And the tongue begins to lick. And the longer you watch these passions war, the more likely it is that with a sudden spring of uncontrolled desire, this dog engulfs the treat and then looks back up at the master and wags the tail. Can I have another? Let's try this again. Have you seen it? Have you felt it? We all have. Some of you sitting in this room 
may incorrectly believe that you're the only one that struggles with these desires that war against each other. And you may think this is a personal something with you, that, that you're just wrong, that you're, you're broken, that something's not right, that something doesn't fit. Yet what we learn, what we sang this morning from a hymn that was not written recently, what we learn is that we are prone to leave the God we love, that we have desires and passions ever since Adam and Eve and God in his infinite wisdom gave them free will and they sinned and they ate of the tree of which they shouldn't have eaten. From that point forward, we have an internal sinful desire, a sinful will. That sinful will causes us to want to flee from the God. When we are saved, when we repent, when we humble ourselves before God, when we turn to God, that sinful desire, that sinful will within us does not leave us. It is still there. And even though our affections may be turned to God, there are moments where our affections, it pulls against us. There are uncontrolled desires. You think about some of these uncontrolled desires. With the dog, it's food. I've been there before. I I was there last night. Yep. Last night, it's 9.30 at night. I'm working on a sermon this is one of my points. I want nerds. I don't know why. I, I'm not a kid. I shouldn't be eating nerds. I mean, nerds is just pure sugar. It's bad for you. There's nothing good about it. I ate a whole box like you get from the dollar store last night <laughs> while I was working on this sermon. All right. I think I gained a pound last night of nerds. Just, I, I don't need to gain any weight. I'm not, I'm, I probably should lose about 10 more pounds. But last night I felt the desire and As I felt the desire, I thought, yeah, you've been pretty good. You've been sick. You lost six pounds while you were sick. You can handle a box of nerds. And I ate a whole box of nerds. Not a handful of nerds, not a small little snack-sized box of nerds, but like the box that's supposed to last you a week. Last night, in front of the computer, working on a sermon. So gluttony came down on my list as things that we struggle with sometimes. You have felt it too, I'm sure. You think about our state. You think about the heroin epidemic that's taking place. What logical reason would you have to say, I want to be a heroin addict? That's what I want to do when I grow up. And yet they start taking heroin, and it is addictive in nature, and there's an uncontrolled desire that causes them to go back for more momentary pleasure that's utterly destructive, an uncontrolled desire. You think about alcoholism. What person says, I want to be an alcoholic when I grow up? I want to be somebody dependent on alcohol for me to have any pleasure or any peace. I want to be somebody who destroys my own body through consumption of something. People don't say that. And yet uncontrolled desire takes over and destroys their life. Can we get a little more personal? What about pornography? Some of you in the room right now struggling with what is an uncontrolled desire. There are moments where this wave of a tsunami of temptation overwhelms you and you are powerless in your own mind to resist to this only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by encouraging others to help you in the struggle. Can you overcome this? And yet you are hiding in your isolation of your own struggle because you don't think anybody else has this struggle and you're sitting there alone, overwhelmed time after time after time when a tsunami of temptation crashes you into the rocky shores of despair. Can I urge you and encourage you to know that you are not alone with an uncontrolled passion that is warring against you? Others may have different uncontrolled passions, but can I encourage you? Can I say to you, get help? The way you fix these things is not to hide in isolation. That is what the devil wants so he can destroy you. The way you get help is to shine light on the issue, to bring others into your life, to say, help me to overcome this temptation. Help me to talk about this, to see how I can overcome this uncontrolled desire. 
Can I get personal again out of a concern and a love for you? Sexual immorality? You meet a girl. She's a Cedarville girl. That automatically means she's godly and she's beautiful. And you're a guy. And you made it into Cedarville. That automatically means you're smarter than the average guy right there, right? And you go out on a date. Nothing wrong with that. You think she's the one. You begin having this relationship that spurs you on to godliness as you talk about good things. You begin to read your Bible more so that you can have more things to talk to her about to show her that you're a godly guy, but then you haven't set boundaries. You haven't set boundaries in how much time you spend together. You haven't set boundaries in where you're gonna go or where you're gonna stop. You haven't talked about these things, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a compromising situation, and then you go over and commit sexual immorality, and that relationship that at one point was spurring you to godliness, now you've caused sin to have that separate you from God, and so you're in a relationship that is pulling you away from God, not pushing you to God, and you find yourself torn because you have these passions. You've done something you shouldn't. You're in a a relationship that is no longer God honoring. You destroyed the relationship that could have been so beautiful. And then you break up. But you don't really break up and leave it alone. Because you see, every time that happens, it's like grabbing some suitcases full of baggage and carrying them along with you to the next time. And it happens again. And you grab more baggage and you bring it along with you to the next time. And then you come to that person that you found that you present the ring to that they say yes, that then you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. And you've got all this baggage. You've got this baggage from pornography. You've got this baggage from sexual immorality. You have carried all this baggage and you show up at the altar and you look at the bride and the bride is standing there and here you have all this baggage that comes with you. And some of you have in your mind, what is it with this legalism that says I can't have fun over here? And that's not what it is at all. It's not that there's a God that doesn't want you to have fun. It's that there's a God that wants you to have what's best. And what's best is not to have all the baggage that's gonna slow you down, that's gonna sidetrack your marriage, that's gonna hurt your relationship. God wants you to have that perfect relationship, that one woman, that one man in a covenant relationship for life, loving each other, enjoying those things together. The devil uses uncontrolled desire. It wars within us. And could I plead with you today? Don't listen to the world. The world tells you things like you never buy a car before you drive it. If a guy is going to treat you, lady, like a car, that's a possession. And when that car gets old, he's going to toss you to the side and go buy a newer model. If that's the type guy that you're with, kick him to the curb. Out of a love for you, Can I say to you, set good boundaries, pursue God's best, treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and leave somebody better than you found them if you're not the one that's gonna be at the altar with them to be married? Uncontrolled desires. It's unmet desires too. We see it here in 4.2. It's our passions at war within us. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. I read many commentaries. They tried to tone this down. They tried to take it back, dial it back a notch a little bit, preacher. We don't murder, but what it says is murder. And then it says we covet and we do not have, so we fight and we quarrel. So I began to think back through my biblical knowledge 
And I thought about Cain. Cain and Abel. Abel was accepted. Cain was not accepted. Cain grew jealous and killed Abel. I think about Joseph's brothers. Joseph with the coat of many colors. Sure, he didn't do everything right, but the jealousy that crept in, and they sell Joseph into slavery into Egypt. God had a plan. God redeemed. I understand, but the brothers did not act right in selling Joseph into slavery. I think about Lot who turned his eyes toward the green, nice-looking pastures of Sodom that would ultimately destroy him. I think about Samson who saw a woman whom he liked and whom he delighted in in his eyes, a woman whom he trusted who was out to destroy him that he gave away his secrets for. I think about David who looked at Bathsheba and lusted after her and eventually killed Uriah the Hittite and all of the destruction that came from that. I think about Ahab and Naboth's vineyard and the destruction that has come over and over and over again. I think about Achan when he looked at the silver and the gold and he coveted it and he put it under his tent and it caused the children of Israel to lose their next battle. I think over and over about all the sinful warring passions that we see in the Bible where bad things have happened, bad things have resulted. I think James knew what he meant when he said here, we murder. Yeah, sure, in this room, we may not murder somebody. Maybe we just get angry with them. Maybe we just have hatred in our hearts toward them. Maybe we allow bitterness to grow up in them. And things like this can happen over all sorts of different things. I put out on Facebook and Twitter to get you to give me some ideas. Here's some of the things that you, you put back. Unmet desires, a high position, power, fame, applause, have you ever been there? You wanted applause. You wanted human recognition to such a degree that if you weren't the one that got it, there was an unmet desire. There was a coveting that took place. There was a selfishness. There was a frustration with the person who did get it. Recognition, control, the approval of others, independence. I want to make my own decisions. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Wealth, beauty, Fitness, newer, bigger, and better things, instant gratification, material possessions, ease, comfort, security, complacency, to be entertained. You think about all these things, all of these potential unmet desires where we look out and we don't have, so we covet. We allow these desires to be focused towards the world. We look at ungodly desires in verse three. We don't often ask for all of these desires. You you ask and you do not receive, though, because you ask wrongly. It says here that you actually ask amiss. You ask to squander what you're asking for with selfish desires. The parable of the, of the prodigal son comes to mind here where the prodigal son goes to his father and he asks his father, give me the inheritance so I can go off and squander all of this inheritance. I can use it on partying. I can use it on hedonism. I can use it on my own desires. And he squanders all of this inheritance. And then he's there in a destroyed state. He's there with the pigs, eating what the pigs eat. And he says, I'm going to go back and work for my father. Even his servants are better off. This is what it's talking about. We so want our worldly desires. We so want what our passions are after sometimes that we look at our heavenly father and we actually even ask him amiss and wrongly for things that we're going to use in bad ways that would destroy us. You know, I was half joking when I wrote this down, but I was half serious when I wrote down here that, that great country music theologian, Garth Brooks. Anybody familiar with Garth Brooks? A couple of you. Yeah, he, one person over here really likes Garth Brooks. He said, sometimes I thank God for 
Oh, you don't know Garth Brooks that well or you would finish that line for me. Unanswered prayers, right? Now, he's not a great theologian because he says, remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, that's probably not a good idea, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. That's not good grammar either. So he didn't do real well in English class. But some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You know, just to, to be honest with you, I, I thought about my own, my own life. I thought about how trivial my passions are sometimes in some of the moments when I've been really upset. And you know, one of the ones that came to mind was when I was out fishing with a friend in a boat and we were using the exact same bait and he kept catching fish and I didn't catch any. That's how trivial my own heart can be sometimes. He catches eight fish using my worms that I've given him. Red shit with a squirt of the good juicy stuff on it. I don't know why, but that's because the commercial says it helps. And here I am fishing with a Texas rig the exact same way I taught him how to fish. And he's catching fish and I'm sitting at the back of the boat and I'm not catching any fish and this is not right. I mean, this is divine injustice for the person that I taught to be catching fish, to be catching more fish than I am. And I'm in the back of the boat, putting him in the good spots. He's fishing with my tackle. He's fishing with my pole. He's fishing with my worms. And here I am not catching anything. And I can get myself into such such a funk that I can ruin the entire day because I'm so self-centered and selfish that I want to be the one catching all the fish and not the person I taught how to fish. Have you ever been there? Come on now, don't let me hang it. I can't be the only person in the room that's that sinful. That's where we are. So let's be honest with each other. If we are that sinful, if I am that sinful over something as trivial it's catching fish. How sinful are we in other things that matter even more? Oh, somebody got the award I wanted to get. Somebody made the starting team that I wanted to make. Somebody made the orchestra and I didn't make the orchestra. Somebody's first trumpet and I used to be first trumpet. Somebody has a higher GPA than what I have. Somebody received a recognition or an award. Somebody won SGA and I didn't. Somebody won a class president and I didn't. All of these things that happen, all of these things that go around. Somebody got the good looking attractive girl that we both liked and I didn't. And so sinfulness and quarrels creep up with our unmet desire. By the way, let me just throw in here for free. We've got a lot of events coming up in the near future. Guys, ask a girl out to go to one of them, all right? There's nothing wrong with that. We have to do that for me? You can blame it on me. You can say, I told you. You told you you had to do it. We've got basketball games coming up on Thursday and Saturday. We've got a play coming up. We've got all sorts of things. We've got box lunch today. You could, you could ask them right now in chapel, hey, you want to go to lunch with me? And you could go to the box lunch. Just ask somebody out. Just for the, anyway, all right, I'll move on. I just need to throw that in there. Every now and then, you just need to ask somebody out, okay? In a godly, good way to get to know them, not anything. Did he just ask somebody out? Who, who did that? Oh, come on, you can raise your hand. He's not gonna raise his hand. All right, anyway. Ask her out right after chapel, all right? Wherever. It was on the rock, too. You have to do it. All right. All right, we'll move back to serious. So what happens here? Look at what he says. James gets serious with us. He says to us, my beloved brothers. Is that what the text says? James 4.4. 4. My brothers, over 20 times in this, in this letter, my brothers, my beloved brothers, 
James here doesn't say beloved brothers. James here in a very serious tone, I think in a pastoral tone, I think in a way because he is so frustrated at what he has seen destroying lives and his hatred of sin, he says to them, you adulterous people, exclamation point. I don't even know that I could say that text sitting down and do it justice. He says to them, you adulteresses. And our mind goes back to the book of Hosea. Hosea, you're going to take a wife and she's going to be an adulteress and she is going to leave you and she is going to betray you and her name will be Gomer and you're going to redeem her and you're going to buy her back from slavery and you're going to demonstrate the covenant love that God has for each of us and the fact that we spiritually commit adultery against the God who has loved us. We are the adulteresses. This is not something for them. This is something for us that as these passions quarrel against each other, as we sense these things and we give in to these uncontrolled desires, these unmet desires, these ungodly desires. We are the spiritual adulteresses. We are the one committing spiritual adultery. There's no my brothers here. It's you adulterous people. Think about some cross references here. He says the adulteresses, the adulteresses people, he reminds us that if we're going to be friends with the world, we're going to be enemies with God. He tells us here that It's going to put us at enmity with our God if we wish to be a friend of the world. And we look at 1 John 2, 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and we understand the word world is the, it's not the people, it's not the planet. The world is that evil system of around us, that sinfulness that encompasses uh, the evil spiritual battle that's taking place. If you love the world, if you are focused on the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, for many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, Paul with a broken heart says they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. I have to ask you the question here. I have to ask myself the question here. Where's your mind set? Where are your affections? Are your affections set on the things of the world? Or are your affections set on the things of God? If you find yourself drifting to where your affections are on the things of the world, the pride of life, the pride of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the things of this world, if that is where your mind is set, if that is where your heart is and your heart is not attuning your affections towards God, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. A love for the world in your life may indicate that your affections for God have dimmed. If there was a time when you were more affectionate towards God, where your heart was set more towards God, perhaps you have allowed your quiet times to become a legalistic box that you have to check. Perhaps you have allowed them to slip away. Perhaps you no longer read the word to learn about the God of the word. Perhaps you are not praying or walking with God. Perhaps you are not enjoying the fellowship of a community of believers. You're not singing from the bottom of your heart with praise to Almighty God. Perhaps you have allowed the world to distract you. Your affections have dimmed toward God and God is giving you a chance here this morning, right now, to evaluate your affections. And if they have dimmed, he is saying to you, rekindle your affections towards God. Refocus those affections towards God. Dig into the word in a new way, in a fresh way, to learn about the God of the Bible, not to idolize the Bible, but to learn about the God it teaches us about. 
If your affections are towards the world, oh, I urge you, I caution you now before it's too late, before you have run off the cliff, to turn your affections towards God. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, perhaps you know. You know in your heart. Not that I'm trying to cause you to doubt your salvation, but you understand and you know that you have never had affections for God. You may have grown up in a house that had affections pointed towards God, but you personally never had your own affections for God. You never found pleasure in the things of God. You always sought to get around the rules, to go to the things of the world. You never sought God in and of yourself. You truly never repented of your sins. You never switched your allegiance. You never said, God, I'm on your team now. You have never changed. You could be sitting even in this room right now realizing that you have a false faith. Even the demons believe and tremble. But this text tells us if we have a love for the world that we are enemies of God. If we have a love for the things of the world, if that's where our heart is set, if that's where our affections are, then they are not for the things of God. You know, I can't help but think the week I was out, I, you know, I would, there was one moment I slept for like 36 hours late. I'd sleep for two hours, I'd roll over, sleep for two more hours, but I got up at 10 o'clock and put my laptop on so I could listen to chapel. Sitting in the, in the chair listening to chapel every day from home, I noticed that that week, many of our speakers brought straight gospel appeals. They presented straight gospel and challenged you to evaluate your own heart and your own life. I don't think God does that by accident. I don't think that happens by mistake. I think that God leads certain speakers to come into an auditorium where they know there are 3,400 followers of Christ, those who have claimed to be believers and to present the gospel message to say to you, are you truly walking with God? Have you evaluated your own heart? Where are your affections? And I have to say to you, as somebody who loves you and somebody who desires the best for you, this morning, evaluate your own affections. If you are here and you are at Cedarville University and you have the least doubt in your mind that you are not walking with God, that you are not a follower of Christ, it is not the devil that's causing you to want to pursue that. It's not the devil that's causing you to think you may not be a true believer. It is the Holy Spirit pricking your heart to go talk to somebody, to talk to an RA, to talk to an RD, to talk to a faculty member, to talk to a staff member, to come down here right after chapel today, to talk to one of us, to say, I'm not sure where my affections are. There's no greater decision that you can make here at this campus than the decision to follow Jesus. Where are your affections? Our desires, it causes us to stumble. They're uncontrolled, they're unmet, they're ungodly. Leads us to being spiritual adulterers. So what is the solution? If we all struggle with this, James tells us, and he tells us here in verse six, but God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can read ahead. You can read in verses seven and following. James is gonna give us much more as he says about this, but it all begins with this moment here of God gives grace to the humble and God opposes the proud. Where are you? You think about the contrast. Pride says I'm important. Look at me. My happiness is all that really matters in this world. My desires, my selfish ambitions. If you take my seat, that's a problem. If you take my award, you have deterred my happiness and that is a problem. If you take what I desire or what I want, that is a problem because 
I have pride and my pride tells me that this world is all about me and my desires and what I want and embracing myself and that prideful arrogance leads me to have conflict with everybody around. And the Bible tells us that God resists the proud. Contrast the proud person with the humble person that says, I recognize I am not worthy of the grace that God has given me. I have a sinful, rebellious streak against my creator that runs deep. I have desires and thoughts that I should not have. My own passions war against my attempt to be godly. My heart is prone to to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I need your grace fresh and anew each day. Lord, I can't live this life on my own. I need your word. I need to meditate on it. I need to memorize it. I need to think about it. I need my prayer time with you. I need to join together with other believers and be encouraged and to hear them sing. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I am a fallen vessel and I need you. And if that's where your heart is, James says God opposes those proud who think they can do it on their own, but he gives grace to the humble. And so again, I say to you, if you're in this room this morning and you think you're the only one struggling with these passions warring against each other, welcome to a whole room full of fallen sinners who struggle with passions warring against one another. Welcome to a community that can embrace you and pray for you and love you and talk about your struggle. Your struggle may not be my struggle. My struggles may not be your struggles, but we all have struggles that we can encourage and embrace and spur one another to godliness. That should be the Christian community that we have. God gives grace to the humble. So next time, we talk more about what to do. But today, what do we do? We're humble. We humble ourselves before God. We ask for help. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil for he will flee. We draw near to God. We cleanse our hands. We purify our hearts. We humble ourselves before the Lord. And that will all be laid out for us next time. Let me leave you with some questions to think on today. Are we more or less self-centered than a year ago? You realize the Christian life is all about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Christ, learning humility, leaning on Christ, leaning into the word. So are you more or less self-centered than you were a year ago? Are we better friends with the world or with God than we were a year ago? Where are your affections? Have your affections shifted more towards God and to the things of God? Or have your affections shifted to the things of the world? Where are you? Do we obtain our greatest pleasure in the things of the world or in the things of God? James wants us to know that as mature believers, as mature followers of Christ, we recognize that our passions war against each other. We resist those temptations. We lean into God. We are humble and we plead for the grace and mercy of God. As mature followers of Christ, our affections are set to the only one that can truly fulfill us. Our affections are set and our identity is set in Jesus Christ alone for that is the glorious moment that we await. We look to the things of God. We resist the things of the world. We have mature believer, mature followers, affections and heart will be 
set on God who has given us so much grace and continues to give us more, on the Holy Spirit who helps us daily, on the Word that enriches our lives, enriches our souls, on the hope that is true and that will last, not on the things of the world that will fade away, not on the things of the world that will destroy, not on the things of the world that are deceptive, but on the one true living God who died for our sins, who is coming again, who will set all things right, that one day we will be in heaven. That is where our affections are set, to live forever and to enjoy Christ. Is that where your affections are today? Dear God, I pray that you take our hearts that are prone to wonder, and Lord, you seal them by your grace and your spirit. God, I pray you turn our affections away from the things of this world, from those sinful desires and passions, and you turn our affections towards you. Lord, may we be satisfied in you. Lord, may we find our pleasure and our joy in you. Lord, may we find our identity in you, our contentment in you and in you alone, for you are the only thing that can fulfill us in this life and beyond. May your name be glorified and praised in each of our lives this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.